Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you're in this place this morning, God. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you today, God. I pray as we hear these words, Lord, God, that our hearts will be open. Lord, I pray that uh, we will recognize the amount of amazing grace that you have given us. Lord, I pray that you help us to see our need for you every single day and that you willingly welcome us into your arms. God, I pray that, Lord, the things that are said today, God, I pray, Lord, are your words. God, I pray that we will focus on what the text has to say and how you are glorified through it. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we you. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. So, Pastor Matt is not here again this week. He's not being lazy. Um, I'm hoping he's watching this, though. Matt, if you're watching this, you're not, being, you're not being lazy. Today is Pastor Matt's birthday, so make sure, yeah, you can cheer for him. Maybe he's watching online. I don't know. There you go. See. Of course, since it's his birthday, he also may not be watching at all, which would be fine, too. It's a good birthday present. So when he comes back, you need to harass him for not showing up to work on his birthday. That's not, that's not a good thing to do. So one of the things about myself is I, I like to know why something is happening, why something's going on. If somebody tells me something and I ask why and they say just because, I don't like that. I've also discovered that my soon-to-be eight-year-old daughter does not like that as an answer either. So we're now to the point of our relationship where I cannot say because dad said so. Like I can say that, but she's going to continue to pester me until I give her a reason. She says, Dad, that's not a reason. So we were talking the other day, and she, she's got a birthday coming up in September, and so she asked about getting her ears pierced. And so, well, all the dads, you're with me already on this, right? If you're a dad of a girl, you're already, you're already feeling me on this. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so at first, I just, I just said no. I just told her no, and she's like, but why? I, I honestly did not have a reason. Right? I didn't have a reason. I didn't have reason that I knew about. So I just said no. So she got upset and she said, Dad, that's not a reason. Can you please just give me a reason? And so I thought about that. Clearly, you're my child, right? And so in my mind, I'm like, if there's a good enough reason, then she's going to be okay with this. And so the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I don't know that I have one. I said, you know, I, I, my reason was, her, her name's Harper. I said, Harper, if you get your ears pierced, that means you're growing up. And as your dad, I don't like that. <laughs> like, you're getting older. I know that's going to happen, right? But, you know, I want to prolong these younger days as long as I can. But it's important. And just reminding me of the need to answer the why question. Okay? And so our text is going to start off with that a little bit this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one under your seat. We are on page 730. And if you have one of these Bibles, feel free to take it home. If you don't have a Bible at home, we have a lot of these, even leftover in a storage closet back there, so feel free to take it. But if you use this one or in your Bible, it's going to have brackets or some type of footnote about today's passage. So it's important we understand why, then is it in there? Why are we still using it if there's a need to put these footnotes or these brackets? And do not read to you what it has in here. It says, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7, 53 through 8, 11. A few manuscripts included these verses in different parts. So a couple of things we need to think. 
first of all, okay, so this wasn't from the very earliest. Why do we still feel that it's worth being included in this? Okay, so there's a couple of things. First of all, many scholars that I trust, if you want to read through everything, all the things about this, feel free to do that. Trust me, you don't want me to spend this morning telling you all the things about words like textual criticism and things of that sort. But if, if, that's, if that's your jam, please come find me and I'll tell you all the books you can read about why those things work that way. The consensus among everybody who has studied this is that John did not write these verses. They're found in different spots in the older manuscripts and that John did not write them, but there is a consensus that this actually happened. That this actually happened. And so we have to think about that. Okay, what would allow us to think that this actually happened? And so anytime we look at different scripture, scripture does not go against itself, right? It confirms itself. So we have to look through the rest of the Bible, the rest of the gospel, and see if the themes of this passage are the same as other things we find in the gospels. And Pastor Ian just read that. So at first we had the Pharisees and religious leaders trying to shake Jesus. That is a common theme throughout the gospels. We then had Jesus showing compassion for someone who was considered an outcast. Again, perfectly in line with the gospel. We had people having an idea Jesus has got to choose one or the other, but Jesus flips everything on his head and lets them know you're not even asking the right questions. There's so much more to this than you know. Again, very common theme throughout Scripture. So these are the reasons that it's put in here. These are the reasons that we believe that this is part of Scripture. So now that we got the fun stuff out of the way, again, it's always important to know why. Those are important questions to ask. Anything like that I say or somebody comes up here that says, it's always important to, to wonder why, why those things. Are. The Bible doesn't shy away from that. God doesn't shy away from that. So we're going to start in three, verse three. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, when it says caught in adultery, that means exactly what you think it means. She was caught in the act. Because the way that the Jewish law was set up, the penalty for this could be stoning someone. So they, had to, they wanted to make the rules where it was very, very rare that anyone was ever actually stoned for this. So part of the rules were there had to be two witnesses. This is part of Jewish law. There had to be two witnesses. If they were, the people accused of adultery had to be caught in the act. Even if they were just lying on the bed beside each other, they could not be accused of adultery before a trial. They had to be in the act. And... Both people involved, the man and the woman, had to be brought forward. And if we look at this, the teachers of the law, so they know the law, they brought in a woman called an adultery. It's not possible for her to be called an adultery by herself. But we already see at this point the, the way that men and women were treated differently from even then. But the beautiful thing about this is the way that Jesus responds and Jesus isn't having any of that. So they made her stand before the group, verse 4, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So how is this a trap? How is this question a trap? Again, we need to first understand that part. How is this a trap? So... Up until this point, if you've been going along with us through John, Jesus' Jesus's message has been, I 
am the Son of God. I am offering compassion. I am offering mercy. Come to me for forgiveness. So, if Jesus forgives this woman of everything, then he's going to go against the law. Now, why is that a problem? Because earlier he has said that the law of God, everything is going to be fulfilled through him. So, he needs to still show compassion and forgiveness, and he needs to still fulfill the law. So, the scribes, the teachers, the religious leaders are thinking, you know what? No matter which answer he picks, we've got him. Because if he forgives her completely, then he's saying the law doesn't matter. So he's clearly not from God, so we don't have to worry about him. And if he says, she's guilty, let's stone her, then everything that he has preached about compassion, about mercy, about forgiveness is lies. So they think they've got him. They're even using the law. It's the, most, the law given to Moses was given by God, and Jesus has acknowledged that. So he's in what seems to the teachers to be in a sticky situation. But what's so beautiful and what is done so many times in Scripture, Jesus turns it around on them. We're continuing verse 6, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, they stooped down and wrote on the ground. The beautiful thing about this is they have brought this woman, and they said, according to the law that Moses gave us, she deserves to be stoned. So a couple of things that are happening here. First of all, notice Jesus doesn't say she's not guilty. But he does use their own standard to show them their own sin. Okay, so if any of you, any of you that are without sin, according to the law of Moses, feel free Pick up a stone and get to it. Jesus, if you notice, he doesn't even say she shouldn't be stoned. He said, whoever of you has not sinned, pick up the first stone. This is, one, this is just a basic thing. God's using their own standard against them. And if we think about that, the same thing happens in our lives. Every one of us has a standard in our own life. This is how people should act. This is what people should do. This is how people should speak. Every one of us has that. And every one of us has broken our own standard, much less God's. I will tell you right now that, that men should always speak kindly to their wives and always speak kindly to their children. I have not always spoken kindly to my wife and to my children. I would tell you that we should be kind to strangers and be giving. I have not always been kind. I've not always been giving. I would tell you that every morning we should wake up and give it 110% and work hard. Sometimes I wake up tired. So staff, the kids wake up in the middle of the night, right? So we have these standards that we set, the standards that we set, and we expect everybody else to live with them, but we're okay if we don't live by them. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's calling out the sin of the teachers because they don't care what the law says. Now, they use that as an excuse, but they don't really care. If they really cared what the law said, they would have brought the man too. They didn't care about what the law said. What they cared about was their own power. Because up until this point, the religious leaders carried all the power in Israel. Everything was kind of run through them. And so they had the power, and what Jesus represented was a threat to their way of life. So it's not that they care about the law. They definitely don't care about this woman, clearly. They care about discrediting Jesus because that means there's no longer a threat 
to who they are and to what they represent. And the same thing happens with us when we kind of try to set our own standard. That's why it's amazing to understand that God's standard is perfection and every one of us falls short. Every single one of us. And so it should allow us to come to a place where we're not saying, here's the standard, here's what you need to do to live up to what I think is best, right? Because that's, that's what the religious leaders are doing. They're saying, hey, we're doing everything right. We're bringing this woman. We would never do anything like this, and we're going to bring her forward. But we do the same thing. We point to different sins that we say, oh, I would never do anything like that. But the reality is, yes, you would. I'm sorry, I hate to break this to you, but you are not so great that there's a sin that you would not commit under certain circumstances. Which, again, goes back to what we talked about last week, about this idea of arrogance and Christianity don't mix. What Jesus does is, is so beautiful. He uses their own standard c- to condemn them. And because they're basically refusing to acknowledge their own sin, right? Again, they're breaking the law by only bringing this woman. They're breaking the law that they're calling into effect here. But Jesus calls out their own sin. And here's what we need to understand. And we need to see this and let this serve as as kind of a, a warning for us within the church, honestly. Jesus always starts with the church first. When it comes to judgment, when it comes to calling out sin, Jesus starts with the church. Because there can be this tendency to think that we have everything figured out, just like the religious, religious leaders did. Jesus always starts with the church. Those who think that we are good enough or we've done everything right, we will be the first ones that Jesus puts in our place. Again, Jesus did not say the woman wasn't guilty. He didn't even say she shouldn't be stoned, but he did not start with her. He's going to address her in this text, but he starts with the religious leaders. And that's something that we need to be wary of. Are we getting in that situation? Those of us who call ourselves believers, are we so confident in our own ability to follow the right rules that we think that we're on a different level than other people? We need to be aware of that. Verse 9. At this, after he talks about the not throwing a stone, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Now, that's a sermon in and of itself. The older ones first because what should happen as as we get older, we get wiser. And what also should happen is we are more willing to admit that we make mistakes. Because I think about this. When When I was in my 20s, I was the smartest man alive. I knew everything, right? I mean, I'm sure most of you who are older than 20 now, when you were in your 20s, you knew everything. You had all of life's answers. I'm in my mid-40s now, and I've realized I'm kind of an idiot. Right? Like, it's, as the older I get, the more life I experience, the more I see the mistakes that I've made. The more I see how much more I need the amazing grace of Jesus. That's another thing that happens. The, the more time that we spend studying God's Word the more we realize how short we fall of it and the more we are in need of him. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders in this, did not have that recognition. In their mind, they were doing everything right, so they weren't really in need of Jesus. But the older ones walked away first, continuing in verse 9, until only Jesus was left. So let's think about this. Jesus said, 
If you're without sin, throw the first stone. Everybody starts to leap. Who's left? Only Jesus. He didn't leap, which means he's the only one that had the right to throw stones at this woman. Because he has fulfilled the law. He is without sin. He has every right within Jewish law at this point to execute this woman. But what does he do? Only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This should blow our minds. Because just like the Pharisees, in our minds, okay, there's passion and there's justice, but we gotta, we got to pick one or the other. we got to pick one or the other. But these things unite perfectly in Jesus. He's fully compassionate and fully just and fully righteous. But what we want to do sometimes in, in our human way of doing things, like let's, get, let's have lots of compassion, lots of compassion, and we'll be kind of eh, maybe justice, maybe not. And so what that does is it creates relativistic morality, meaning we say sin depends on the situation, right? We say, oh, this woman was entrapped, so we really shouldn't count that against her. No, this woman was still guilty. Jesus never said that she wasn't. The same thing can be true if we try and go with absolute morality, as though everything you have to live perfectly, then we will crush people because none of us are capable of that. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, listen, it's only, it's only 11, 10 in the morning. I would say 99% of us have sinned before this point during the day. Right? If you think about our thoughts or about our actions, the way we've spoken, there's a really good chance we've already, and it's not even lunchtime. It's not even lunchtime. So to have the audacity to think that, that we are good enough to do these things for ourselves, it's just absolutely crazy. But in Jesus, it is perfect. He perfectly fulfills the law and perfectly shows compassion. But so we have to ask the question, if there needs to be punishment for this sin, how can Jesus stand before her and say, neither do I condemn you. How is that possible? The only way that's possible is because he knew what was coming. He knew that the cross was coming. The only way for her not to be condemned was for him to be condemned. The only way for us not to die in our sins is because Jesus died for our sins. That's it. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He died for our sins. That's the only way that he can stand before us and say, you are not condemned. Because if we think about this in any way, shape, or form, every one of us, every one of us is worthy of condemnation. We're not worthy of salvation. That's a reality. I know we want to talk all like, oh, yeah, like things are, yeah, God's not really going to do those types of things. None of us are worthy of salvation, and yet all of us are worthy of condemnation, and yet Jesus steps up and takes that for us. So that for those of us who have placed our faith in him, he says, you're not condemned. Romans 8 one says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's crazy to think about. How can he possibly, possibly say that? The beautiful thing, not only that, but also in 2 Corinthians 5.21, which is my favorite verse in all the Bible. I feel like I use it about every sermon, but it, I think it's that good. Um, it says, God made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness 
of Christ. So not only does Jesus take away our sin, but gives us His righteousness if our faith is in Him. And I love the way that Jesus approaches this. The first thing He does, we talked about this, He goes after the religious leaders. Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor that I love to listen to, and he talks about when Jesus is in these situations where He goes after the religious leaders and has compassion towards the outcasts, he said, Jesus bruises the comfortable and comforts the bruised. And I love that. He bruises the comfortable because that's what happens. If we're comfortable in our own uh, merit and our own righteousness, we need to be knocked down a peg. And if we are bruised and we are beaten down, as a lot of us get to be, we need to understand that Jesus is here to welcome us. He is here to bring comfort, something that we cannot do at all. We can never do that for ourselves. But here's a beautiful thing about it. After he does that, right, Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But he doesn't leave it there. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. Of that, the thing that, again, I feel like there's a lot of things in here that should blow our mind. But the order of that statement should blow our minds. Because what does he say? Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. He does not tell this woman, listen, go leave your life of sin, come back to me in a couple of weeks, and we'll see how things are going. He doesn't say leave your life of sin, then when you come back, then I won't condemn you. He stands before her, you're not condemned, go and leave your life of sin. I mean, isn't that amazing? And literally no other transaction in history are we set up in a situation where somebody says that to us. Your boss is not going to say, here's your check, now go do some work, right? You got to do some work first, then you get your check. It's, it's totally countercultural to everything that we experience in life. And if that doesn't help us to see the beauty of Jesus and what he's done, I don't know what will. He wants a transformed life. He wants a changed heart. Our faith in Christ is not, okay, I have faith in Jesus, so now I can continue doing whatever I want to do. God loves me, so it doesn't matter what I do. That is the craziest statement that I think I've ever heard in my life. Because think about this. If, there's, if we really think about that, there's no way that that statement holds merit. God loves me, so it doesn't care what I do. I love my kids more than anything in this world. I care what they do. I care what's best for them. If I didn't care for what's best for them, then guess what? I don't love them. God is the same way with us. It is best for us to be following his word, to be spending time in prayer, to be understanding what Jesus has done for us. That is what's best for our lives. That is what brings us joy. That is what makes us have meaning and have purpose in our lives. Because God loves us, he wants us on that track. If he didn't love us, then he would let us do whatever we wanted to do. So don't believe the lie that if God loves you, you can do whatever you want, because that is not love in any way, shape, or form. So God demands a change of heart. And we understand the importance of this. The amazing thing is, at, at this point, obviously Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. But he knew that was coming. Can you imagine that? Like, think about this. In, in his situation, he knows that he has a horrible death coming for people like this woman, for people like me, for people like you. That's awaiting him. 
And he still says, I don't condemn you. I don't, I don't know how we, we can't see the beauty of what Jesus has done for us in that because we all deserve How? Do- so then the question is, we have to ask ourselves, how does this affect the way we live? Or how should this affect the way that we live? For starters, we need to look at this. Most of us are either in the Pharisees' shoes or we're in the woman's shoes. Right? The woman doesn't, she doesn't even say, hey, I'm not guilty, I shouldn't be stoned. She understands her guilt. She also understands the forgiveness that's been offered her by Jesus. Are we in that situation? Or are we like the Pharisees where we are using our own works, our own things to say, you know what, I'm good enough. I don't really, I don't really need Jesus that much anymore because I'm doing the right thing. And on the surface, we look at that and every one of us would say, no, I'm not, I'm not like the Pharisee. But here's the reality. The longer you have been in Christian, the longer you have been in church, the closer you are to the Pharisee than you are to this woman. Because what happens a lot of times, this is a lot of times, people come to Christ and they say, okay, my faith is in Jesus. I know I'm not going to hell, so now I just need to start checking off this list. I got to make sure I hit church every Sunday. I got to read my Bible. I got to pray. I got to do the right things. You know, scripture. And so, so then I'm good. I'm covered. But in, in Scripture, when God says His mercies are new every morning, it's because we need them every morning. There's not a day that goes by that you don't need the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. It's like we said earlier, most of us have already sinned and it's not even noon. To think that we would not have a deep, overwhelming need for Jesus that we could never satisfy is crazy on our behalf. But that's what we do. We get so comfortable, especially those of us that have been in church for a long time. We get so comfortable. I've been doing all the right things. I talk to the right people. I don't do those sins. I don't do these sins. I'm really a pretty good person. That's who we become. And when we become that, then we look at other people in the same way that they looked at the woman. That person's sinful. Not, it's not me. It's them. I would never do anything like that. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. All of us would. We are all so close. Without being rescued completely by Jesus, you have no idea, given the right circumstances, the amount of sin that you would go to. We want to think, no, I would never do that. The only reason you would not would be because of the Spirit of God correcting you. It's not because of you. It's because of God's Spirit in your life. And that's only possible because he was condemned. Get in our place. And so we get, sometimes I think we get in the mindset of this woman, but we almost feel like we've done so many things, we can't come to Jesus. I became a Christian when I was 19. I, I grew up in church. I know all the answers. But before that point, before I became a Christian, there was a time in my life in high school I said, you know what? I don't, I don't want this church thing. I don't want this Jesus thing. I'd rather, you know what, I, let me get involved in, in alcohol, going out with girls, doing drugs. Let's, let's, let's try that world and see what happens. So those were things that I did. And the crazy thing is, it's, I knew they were wrong, right? This, this woman in the story, she knew what she was doing was wrong. I knew what I was doing was wrong. So finally, when I come to my senses, 
and stop doing those things, what I'm telling myself is I'm so far gone, there's no way that Jesus would welcome me. I don't deserve to be welcomed back to Jesus. I've done so many things wrong. Reminds me so much of the prodigal son. If you've heard that story, it's in Luke chapter 15. He goes away, does all these wrong things, comes back to his father, and his father doesn't say, hey, get your life right, then you're part of the family. He welcomes him back in with open arms. And so I remember when I was 19 years old, sitting in a church service, just bawling my eyes out, and God just saying, Lee, it's time to come home. It's not, hey, go fix everything. You need to go do the right things. If you, you know what, Lee, start reading your Bible for three hours a day. Go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Go to your small group. Go, go all, do all those things. Go witness to 50 people this week. Then come back and things are going to be good. But he doesn't do that. He just says, neither do I condemn you. So please understand, you are never too far gone for Jesus. Never. And you might be saying, you know, you know what, Lee, you don't know the things I've done. I do know that Jesus' forgiveness is greater than the things you have done. And it always will be. There's never a time where, you'd, where you get so far gone that when you come to Jesus, he says, you know what, no thanks. It says he is waiting for us and that he will not turn away anyone that comes to him. The danger we get into now is when we see people, especially those of us who have been Christians for a while, we see people and we'll make this, either this comment or this thought, there's no way a person like that's ever going to come to Jesus. We say that. Like I, I, I've said those things before. Most of us have said those things before. But here's the reality. There is a point in your life where someone would have looked at you and said the same thing. Knew me. I think about people who I haven't seen in, in 20 plus years who knew me from the days I was running from Jesus, would blow their minds that now I'm preaching about Jesus on a Sunday morning. The only way that's possible is not because of me, believe me. It is only because of what Jesus has done for us. Because he said, you know what? You're not too far gone. My love for you, I want the fellowship with you so much that I'm going to come and die for your sins. And so when we get so wrapped up in these things and we, we put so many things in the place of God talking about our own righteousness, and it's as though God's saying, is, is, is fellowship with me so, so non-fulfilling that you're willing to do these things, like be involved in these sexual sins, these other sins in your life, is the fulfillment lacking in your relationship with me? So what we need to understand is we need to stop coming up with these things that prevent us from coming to Jesus, either because we think we're too far gone or because we're so sure that we're good that we don't come to him. In the prodigal son, it says that he came to his senses and then returned home. So that's my challenge for us today. If you think that you are too far gone from Jesus, come to your senses and understand that he is there to welcome you. If you think you're too good and not capable of sin, again, Come to your senses and come to Jesus. There is forgiveness to spare. There is mercy to spare. This is what he has done for us. My hope is that we see the beauty in Jesus. Right? This is not just like a transactional story that we send 
Jesus died for us. Okay, we're going to have faith. Everything is good. It should continually blow our minds that we have any access to him whatsoever. And it's all because of him. And because of him, he can stand before us and say, neither do I condemn you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. Now we thank you that when we stand before you, it's not our own goodness that brings salvation because that's never going to be possible. It is simply through your life, death, and resurrection that any of it is possible. Now, the fact that you can come to us and say, neither do I condemn you. Lord, I pray that we never lose sight of how amazing that is. God, I pray that we never lose sight of how close we are to choosing to sin instead of choosing to honor you. God, I pray that we never look at people and have this thought that says, you know what, they're, they're too far gone. There's no way they would ever come to Jesus. Lord, we were all in that position. You drew us to yourself. God, I thank you so much for that. Lord, I thank you that we can stand before you and that we can point to you. Or that we don't talk about our good works or our good deeds. Lord, when we're asked what makes us sure of our salvation, our answer is not because I read the Bible three times. The only answer we can have is, my sin made it necessary for me to need to be rescued. And Jesus came, lived the life that I should have lived, died the death that I should have died, and rose again so that for those of us who have placed our faith in him, there is now no condemnation no matter what. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.